Vitaly Friedman is one of the nicest and most brilliant people I know. Born in Minsk, Belarus, he studied computer science and mathematics in Germany and co-founded Smashing Magazine back in 2006, a leading online magazine for designers and developers. His curiosity drove him from interface design to front-end to performance optimization to accessibility and back to user experience over all the years. I started off by asking Vitaly that if he was to give an environmental score to digital design from 1 to 10, what would he give it? I always think about the very early days when I got to the web, like the very first day that was, of course, back then, Yahoo in 1998. And at the time, it felt like this is such a heavy page to me. It seems like there was so much stuff and there were so many things going on there that felt like almost impossibly complicated and heavy and all of that. But I think we have evolved so much that we are at the point where we maybe, I don't know, uh, most web pages are maybe a thousand times more heavy than this whole Yahoo page that we had back in the day. And that's actually quite significant. Okay, maybe not thousand, but definitely hundreds. And I think this is an indicator for me that we are, that we're moving in different directions. On the one hand, what I see is, and this is kind of a very difficult way of answering your question, the quick answer would be not good. I think the problem is that it's not just, it's just not a conversation at all that many people have. And so it's random. Sometimes if you see developers or designers uh, thinking about accessibility, thinking about design from the perspective of usability, inclusive design, uh, cleanliness, weight, uh, then you have exceptional results. That, that will be indeed quite exceptional and as such rare. On the other hand, uh, most of the time, we just look at the tools that we have in front of us and we just go ahead and we build and we design using the tools that we have in front of us without thinking about sustainability, often not thinking about performance, and sometimes, and that is unfortunately is still quite common, not even thinking about accessibility. So we just produce visual output and we put it on a server somewhere and that kind of works on small screens and large screens and that's it. So there is no conversation about sustainability or performance, although it has been changing, I think, over the last couple of years. Maybe digging a little bit into it, one thing that I've kind of, I don't know, noticed about digital over the years is that a key characteristic of it is is, is about speed, creating, copying, moving, whether products, you know, changing very, very quickly. And and this whole sense of speed, I think it, it attracts um, a certain type of character, a certain type of culture, um, and that they... You know, I remember people being proud of saying that they they don't finish things or they hackathons and yeah, I got this, you know, but I'm not going to maintain it. Like if somebody else take it off me, it's a good idea, but you know, I'm not going to maintain it. And and uh, you know, light pages, whatever, maintenance, repair, reuse, archiving. What's that? Deleting? I don't do deleting. You know, and. All of these are connected with environmental issues as well, because you know there's there's data crises. So is that you know is, do we have a speed culture? Is that is that you know the type of person we have a real a speed freak? Hmm, that's interesting. I think it's also kind of a relatively complex question because I think that many companies don't have that either. 
there is a randomness culture, I would say. So we just need to produce something for that campaign, for that site, for that project. It's it's kind of purely about impact, I think. So there is a lot of branding projects, of course, out there. There are, of course, of other projects too. But I think that most of the time, it's just not really a part of a conversation unless it hurts, unless it hurts in terms of SEO, unless it hurts because some people can't do what they need to do, right? Or it hurts because uh, many users who tend to use that software or that application on that website just end up on a slightly more suboptimal connections or devices. When it hurts, people start noticing. But by default, because most of the time we are developing and designing on wonderful, incredibly powerful machines, machines that, frankly, only a very small and very privileged portion of people have, right? Um, we don't even see the pain that many people, I would say most people around the world will be experiencing with our devices. So I would say it's not even the speed culture or performance culture. I think personally, I'd be very happy if we had a sort of a performance culture where we would be caring a lot about performance. I think it's maybe when we, when I think about this, it's more about the speed of delivery, of an artifact, be it a website, be it a campaign, be it an application or anything else, that's probably a bit more important uh, for many companies. And I think the reason for that is that all the things that you mentioned, like, for example, maintenance, repair, reuse, archiving, deleting, I think to many companies it just, uh, it's seen as a waste of time. It's seen as, like, even simple light pages, they seem to be perceived as being boring, Maybe not boring, but unattractive. Maybe not bold enough. Maybe not strong enough. Maybe not opinionated enough. Or they're just not good enough to impress or to make an impact. And I think that many companies are still in the business of making that impact. And everything else, you know, cleaning up the code and uh, cleaning up the mess that actually the, the cost of production it just, again, just not even a matter of a conversation. But I would not necessarily argue that this is a culture of speed. I think it's culture of uh, let's deliver this fast because we're on a tight deadline. We have a poor budget and the client wants that. So let's give them what they want. But it's maybe just a lack of attention to the quality of the work we're doing. And frankly, I wouldn't say that this is only you know designer's fault or developer's fault or client's fault. I think... In many ways, it's just the way how companies are organized and how they work. They just very much focus on the final results, final result being the output of the work. Okay, so it's a kind of a, a launch and leave culture um, that, you know, that the, the sense of digital artifacts don't have a life or we don't think of their life after we've we've launched them or created them, then they, they just have to go out in the world. It's not our responsibility anymore to take to take care of them. They're, you know, we did our job, we created them, and that's our job finished. Yeah, I also think that it's, to be honest, um, I think many people, I mean, as, as you know me, I really strongly believe in the good of humankind. Uh, and I think that many people, um, I would say most people who are working in our industry, they want to do good work. I would even say they want to do exceptional work. They want to be proud of the work that they're producing. Just, I would say that most of the time we just don't have or don't get rather the time to do it. 
Like very often you will end up in a situation where, of course, technical debt and design debt just accumulates over time because there are so many things we need to do. And frankly, also because of the complexity of the work we are doing uh, or we have to do on the web, not giving the responsiveness, giving the complexity of applications we're building, it doesn't necessarily leave time to think, to kind of really stop and think. And very often what I see in many organizations is this really, it's kind of the culture of uh, let's push it to the limits. Let's take up 100% of the time that we get from developers, from designers, and fill it in with tasks. Fill it in with, um, you know, in a sprint with just, you know, things that they need to build, they need to design, they need to deliver. And you do see some companies that do take quality of their work more seriously dedicating maybe 20%, maybe 15%, maybe 25% of the time of their employees to quality improvements. And this is where it would be the time to think about the quality of the work we're doing and then archiving or maintaining what we're doing. But in my experience, this is quite rare. And they do say, let's do a sprint, not a marathon. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's a kind of in, in the process. But let's say, you know, just... Because uh, I, I believe in goodness as well, at least half of the time, anyway, some of the time. But that, uh, let's say there was 10 designers and developers in, in, in the room and you came in and you said, uh, hey, hey, guys and girls, uh, we've got, uh, I've got two, two things uh, to offer you today and I want to see which you're interested in. So uh, the first is an option to work on a new feature and the second is an option uh, to maintain an old feature. Who wants to do which? Which hands for which do you think are going to go up? Uh, I think, if I'm being honest, I think that if, let's say, a particular feature or a user journey is broken and it's known that it's broken, then I think that many people would would say, let's fix that, let's look at it, let's clear it up, let's improve it, let's maintain it. Uh, I'm not necessarily thinking that many people are driven by features, but I think that many companies are very much engineering-led. So, and I mean, we can speak about this for hours, but I think overall there is still this fundamental lack of understanding or I would say acceptance of user research or just general UX work. I think that many companies, and this, this is kind of I'm me speaking from my, kind of from my own experience, uh, are very much driven by delivering, by mostly engineering. It's, it's not very uncommon to have maybe for every designer have you know four to five developers uh, in a room. So I don't think that most people would pick the new feature. Um, if it's something exciting that nobody has ever worked with, then maybe. But I would say if there is a pain point that people are aware of, now, from the designer's perspective and also from developer's perspective, there is a very strong feel or need to address that. So the stronger that it hurts, the more likely we're going to get people who really want to fix that. And, you know, that's only then the question of whether we get the time and whether the priorities are set in exactly that direction. So if you come in and you uh, kind of provide these two options for people to choose from, I think whatever uh, the problem is, people will be choosing the right one kind of addressing the issues that are really important and critical, be it by building something new or by cleaning something else, right? Um, but, you know, the problem is that very often there is no commitment to that. There is no uh, mandate to focus on what matters because there is a deadline and something has to be launched. You're lucky to be working with uh, 
uh, good teams like that because my experience over the years is nobody wants to maintain yeah if there's a crisis but to do basic maintenance work to do even to clean up your own files nobody wants to do that i mean you look at miro boards or or team sites or nobody wants to clean up after themselves in 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 digital you know that leads to a lot of bloat and a lot of a lot of waste waste data it's good that you're coming across some teams that that do but uh it wouldn't be my experience yeah just maybe add on that i think um, many teams realize that if they leave things as they are like let's say because there is typically typically after every sprint there will be a retrospective where we're looking at what is what has gone well what has gone not so well so if we get 20 of time to review and kind of to improve the quality uh, this is what that time will go into right it's kind of a dedicated time for quality improvements of whatever it is that we have in front of us be it um, the design process or development process or anything else But of course, uh, you know, in some situations you will be uh, you will be in a position where you think like, oh, you know, we are, have such a legacy. I mean, there is no way we're going to clean it up. Probably the only chance we have is to destroy everything and start from scratch. Well, if you got to that point, then indeed, I agree with you, nobody will want to clean up. Yeah. And say, I know it's kind of connected with what we've been talking about already, but so looking back over the last 10 or 15 years, so there's been an explosion of tools and platform languages and all sorts of wonderful ways of doing things. But as a general profession, as, as web design got better or worse, say from 2005 to 2023, because we've been hearing nonstop about innovation, but is it better or worse or about the same? Or where do you think it is? Oh, that's a very good question. I think it's also a multi-layered uh, question with a multi-layered answer. On the one hand, what I think has become quite noticeable over the last decade or so is that the role of accessibility has changed. I remember vividly some projects which I was running as a freelancer back then in 2003 or two or four. And there was no notion of accessibility. Nobody cared about accessibility, at least from you know from the at least from my memories. This is how I remember it. Uh, if anything, it was seen as this very strange use case of somebody who happened not to be able to see or um, hear. That was really considered to be an edge case. I think now it has gotten much better. I would really argue that there is not a single project I was involved with over the last five, six, seven years when where teams didn't at least think about accessibility early on. So that definitely has changed. On the other hand, if I look at, for example, just notion of general usability, right? Links looking like links, button feeling like buttons, menus just being simple enough for people to understand. Yeah, this is where I feel like maybe there is quite a lot of path that we have taken which did not improve usability at all. Uh, in many ways, I would say that we ended up inventing a lot of new patterns which are visually pleasing uh, and aesthetically interesting, at least to some audiences, but they are really pretty disastrous when it comes to accessibility or usability. Very often we we invent some creative solutions when we don't need them. Looking at the state of things with cookie prompts and you know evasive privacy that we have uh, around us where everybody's collecting so much data that frankly is rarely used. And if used, then not necessarily in a good way for us. But then again, when we look into tooling, 
you know, we can create a built impressive, incredible, uh, responsive experiences today, which can be also very, very heavy. So in terms of performance, uh, not great in terms of, uh, let's say the feel you get from, um, not the feel, but I would say the complexity that we actually managed to tame with our applications to support all kinds of services around the world, extremely impressive. So in that way, automating workflows, automating processes, uh, also better. So you can see that, you know, looking at these different layers, it seems like in some areas we got better, in some areas we got much worse. And you mentioned weight there, which, of course, this Worldwide Waste, the podcast, it's primarily about the sustainability and, and, and you know, the least environmental damage, but weight has exploded. And, and also, I, I know we'll be touching on this later, my wife, Asilda, is Brazilian, and a number of her friends are just ordinary uh, Brazilians. And I, I remember having a conversation with, with one of them there uh, a while ago, and I was talking about the web, and she said, what you, the web, like, she doesn't use the web. She uses WhatsApp and Facebook because they've got plans. You can basically use WhatsApp and Facebook as much as you want, but the web is just too... It's just too heavy. They've got general data plans. Like the poorer you are, generally the more expensive your data plan. And she says, you know, I can't use the web much because it just eats up my data. So I, I, I really avoid the web if I can avoid it. Uh, and all of this fancy stuff and the page is getting much and much heavier that, you know, for an awful lot of people, uh, it's not just hard on the environment but it's it's makes these it's not just inaccessible by people who might have uh, you know poor eyesight or things like that it's inaccessible by by ordinary working people often yeah i think in many ways we one of the biggest problems i think that we have is that as we mentioned as we discussed um just because we are creating these digital experiences on very fancy machines with very powerful very powerful devices, um, great memory, great browsers, modern browsers, new browsers, right? Uh, fantastic internet connections. Um, I think that we are kind of lacking the real perspective or the real feeling of what it's like uh, with our actual users of our systems. There, there is this disconnect has been growing significantly, I think, over the years. Um, especially because, of course, whenever you, you think about even an old device, like, I don't know, a device from 2014 or 15, those devices usually don't disappear. They're getting passed through generations. It might be that children are using them or grandchildren or parents or, um, you know, those things don't disappear. If they work, they still, you know, they keep going at least for a while. So the experiences we are producing and uh, deploying to the web today are heavy most of the time applications are really really heavy which is for example not very surprising that many you know say companies in southeast asia uh, local companies are much better than the big behemoths um, that are operating worldwide so because they optimize for that market the applications are optimized for that market they're designed and built for that market with that market in mind so i think the issue is that we end up creating these applications or creating websites that are never even looked at with actual users 
and also never even looked at with the devices that people, these people, you know, all most users are using. And this is a big, big, big disconnect, I think, at this point, which is why, you know, again, just bringing the notion of testing, having sort of a device lab uh, in the office, which simulates poor connectivity and also happens to be just a really bad device. Uh, well, not necessarily bad, just old device. Um, that's actually, actually absolutely important. But this is rarely a priority, if I'm being honest. Many companies, they want to release a product they want to get the you know the product sold somewhere, and I'll say if there is a particular audience that I would say is poor, right? Then that's not our audience. That's how it goes. We you know why should we optimize if there is no money in that market anyway? So this is the very cynical view on those things as well. So why optimize and spend I don't know a month and whatnot on deploying or improving that feature if in the end you know that market isn't there anyway? So there is that. Of course, if you're working on a digital service, then it will be very different because you're really operating for everyone. You want to be universally accessible. That's a different story then. But I would say, yes, weight-wise, um, it's a very sad state of affairs now. And of course, weight is weight is uh, pollution. Is 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 a key driver. And of course, another element is these these much heavier uh, technical debt. You know, drives planned obsolescence as well. It's 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 a key. It forces people to you know. Some people I've, I talked to somebody there a couple of weeks ago. He said I I didn't want to change my phone, but I had to because my bank I can't use my bank on my old my older phone. And and you know, so these these you know big heavy development environments they're driving e waste. They're driving, and it's it's totally invisible. Visually, and you know, nobody even sees this impact in the development teams or the design teams. It's not even it's not even part of their universe that that they are contributing their small part to climate damage. Through you know that heaviness, every from you know everything's getting heavier. Whether it's four ton SUVs or or sixteen megabyte uh, websites, which then of course are filling up data centers. Data centers have got to grow to you know uh, hold all this data and this this huge digital weight that's beginning to come on the world. And as far as ninety nine point nine percent of digital teams are that's totally invisible what the what the hell are you talking about they're saying you know that it's it, they don't they don't even it's not even part of the the universe of thinking that this this weight really affects the future of our 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 planet yeah i think it's um it's interesting that you're saying that because I think invisibility is actually one of the important factors why it's not a part of the conversation. Because, of course, if you have, let's say, if you're sitting in the room and you have a big box right in the middle of the room and it's always getting in the way, then it's visible. You see that this is just a waste and you don't need it, so you probably want to do something with it, right? But then on the web, it's invisible. So it's, no, I mean, of course, there will be teams that will be measuring performance. They'll be measuring the weight of pages and try to optimize for that. But maybe, you know, if you're lucky, maybe it's just going to happen just before the project gets deployed to impress the client. Maybe just, be, you know, after the last final check and checklist, you know, all right, we need to optimize images here. So let's do that on the main landing page. 
but the rest will do later. And that later, of course, never comes. So, yeah, I think I think it's really just uh, the lack of visibility here. And I think visibility can be uh, can be increased because I think we we kind of just need to make it a bit more prevalent in our design and development decisions. So I would love, for example, all the wonderful tools that we're using, you know, be it Figma, be it frameworks we're using for developing and building applications, right? I would love them to flag, oh, you know, um, this font is too too heavy. Or, oh, um, maybe this image is too big or anything like that. Um, and of course, there are some attempts to do that, and I think that many efforts that came, for example, for came the uh, the Core Web Vitals initiative that came from Google is actually going in that direction. And just because they connected the SEO impact with performance, it really made some changes. So if you look at the last couple of years, it did improve a little, right? Um, but I would say it really needs to improve much more because in the end. You know what we do is we do we did improve many teams did improve performance, but they still deliver an incredibly heavy page. It just they reshuffle resources so the important things are coming to the browser first, but then this entire weight of the page, be it sixteen megabyte, fifty megabyte, whatever, it's still there. It didn't disappear. It's not like the pages got lighter. So I would love, for example one of the ranking factors to be also the weight of the page, even although it doesn't necessarily say how fast the page loads, uh, it would still be a very useful factor to include or at least to make visible. So that would really drive the needle. And I think that this is where, this is how, I guess, visibility could be improved in CMS, in, you know, those kind of ranking systems uh, like Core Web Vitals or uh, in, you know, in, in tools like Figma, Adobe XD and whatever else that we're using. Alex Russell, and you sent me the link to his article there a while ago, Vitaly, he's a really respected uh, engineer and software engineer. And he's he's absolutely scathing about how web design and development is done today and particularly these big frameworks. He describes them as bloated complexity scams. Uh, and I don't know what you're thinking about, that, that actually the, the software we have is, is bloated in and of itself uh, and, and is, is heavy. Is re, you know, it, it gets certain results, but it's, it's very heavy in and of itself and it creates, I see software systems creating multiple copies and versions and like the, the actual, just the, the management of the files and the duplication of versions and, you know, the whole universe of software development seems to be very problematic from many angles, certainly from an environmental point of view. Yes, I would say this, uh, we need to kind of look a little bit back into how it all came to be, uh, to understand why we are where we are right now and how to deal with it. Because when you look back uh, in the beginning, as you surely remember, Jerry, as well, the pages were simpler, right? We didn't have heavy frameworks or anything like that. We just basically hacking around, trying to make things work uh, more or less. Right, And this went like this for a while until we realized, oh, hold on, uh, on that incredible thing that we call World Wide Web, we could do incredible things. We can build really complicated applications. And we started off going into e-commerce, let's do shopping online now, uh, to financial applications, to all kind of applications that we're using today. And so over time, of course, we really, really increased the complexity of what we can do on the web. 
Now, what we also realized that actually building these complex applications with just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript that we were using at the time, it was difficult. It was time-consuming. It was very expensive. It was unreliable. It wasn't very convenient. So in, I would say, starting in 2007, 8, 9, 10, we started looking into developer experience. And how can we make it easier for developers to actually build incredible, sophisticated applications that we, we all need, that the world needs? So we invested quite a lot of effort as a community into making sure that as creators, we have incredible tools. And I think I want to emphasize at this point, we've never had better tools at our disposal. This is like unbelievable what we can do today and all the little features and all the little things that we can do. It's just out of this world. It's really, really impressive how far we have come, but uh, it doesn't come for free. Right, this convenience doesn't come for free because, as a result, right, you know, you can be creating those kind of uh, really complicated systems with a lot of ready-to-use libraries, with a lot of ready-to-use tools, with a lot of ready-to-use configurations. So you really don't have to like go and look in detail of what's happening under the hood and remove everything you don't need. You can just plug them in, adjust, configure. Uh, add things on, enhance, improve maybe a little, and then ship, right? That really has become incredibly convenient for us as designers and developers. The tools for everything from development to debugging are just really incredible out of this world. Now, the problem is, again, uh, this relies on ready-to-use tools and frameworks and things that are not necessarily trivial. And so because we start with them, we also embed them in our products as we are shipping these products, right? And so, yes, we do have frameworks now as a result, right? And these frameworks uh, do not come for free. This is a lot of JavaScript that needs to be, uh, you know, loaded uh, in order for the page to work. There are, however, of course, strategies now that we have developed because we realized that this is a problem over the last few years, saying that, well, we can't do that. We can't just ship so much JavaScript uh, to the browser, to the client, and hope for the best because the performance was bad. And most of the time, people would get a really, really bad uh, experience as a result. So we started optimizing. And today, you can clean things up on the fly. You can do also quite incredible things to really minimize that impact and that bloat. But that also comes with some expertise and knowledge. It's not easy out of the box. Somebody who never had experience with it will probably have a bit of an issue uh, really optimizing the application to the point that it would deliver just what is needed and nothing else, right? So kind of to cut the story short, I would say... Yes, we ended up with a lot of tooling and a lot of tooling is really, really complicated for people who just want to enter the industry, but also incredibly sophisticated and advanced. So we can build anything and people are building anything with JavaScript at this point, right? JavaScript is everywhere, right? But it comes at a cost. And so what is missing, I think, really is not just the tools that are heavy. They are heavy because they've been growing over the years, right? What we're missing is sort of a a way to remove it from the world in which it operates, meaning removing it from the end users who have to run that website or run that application on the old Android device. That step we haven't done yet. I'm hopeful that we will get there, but um, this this doesn't seem to be a very straightforward step. 
you've touched on a number of things here and I'm, uh, I'm asking you some very difficult to answer questions in a sense, but here's another one. So let's say there's a thousand pages. Um, how many of those, you know, on average, you pick randomly a thousand pages from the web. How many of those are percentage wise need complexity and how many of those are, are just simple, basic pages like the, you know, the, in, in other words, that you know, the, what percentage actually doesn't need the complexity there. It's just an article or, you know, as a, a, an overall percentage, because I think, you know, and returning the tools on pages that don't need this complexity, like, is it, what, what, would, what would you, you know, that just can be static pages that, that, you know, that, I don't know, I would say at least 50 to 80%. Yes, I would say like 70 to 80%. The issue is though, Yes, I would say the issue, though, is that it's also kind of the matter of convenience, right? Because today there are plenty of products, uh, and some of them actually really, really good, I have to say. But there are plenty of products that basically come with with their own plugins attached. They come with their carousels, and they come with their, I don't know, uh, all the little things and, and parallax and all the whistles and bells that you might want to have. And so, of course... As creator, you can plug it all in, and then you shouldn't be surprised that all of a sudden you have a very heavy page. So I think many pages uh, could be or should be relatively simple without all the frameworks and whistles and bells. But because many people today are also not really writing HTML, CSS, JavaScript, but they just use WordPress and Wix and Squarespace and so many other sites and products to deliver applications, very often they will just put everything that's visually pleasing and that ends up becoming a really, really heavy page all of a sudden. Although some tools, like again, I'm looking, for example, at Wix, right, has been impressively improving performance of the pages that are being produced with Wix uh, over the years. So that's actually quite notable to say here and to mention at this point. Um, but still, if you add all these things that you might want for interactivity, you end up with a very heavy page. So do you need that? Probably not. But, you know, if somebody plugs in and drag and drops this component in, they end up with a very heavy page without even knowing it. And this is the lack of visibility because they don't know the impact of their decisions. I think in many ways, this is going to be the main reason why pages become very bloated for people who don't necessarily, are not necessarily designers or developers. So let's say in a typical and average, and of course, there never really is, but you, you, an organization comes to you and you look at their homepage or whatever, and it's, you know, which wouldn't be untypical, 16 megabytes. I mean, uh, not untypical, certainly four plus, but let's say 16, 16 megabytes, not untypical in any sense. Um, you know, w- without doing an awful lot of work in a typical environment, how many megabytes or kilobytes could you bring that down to? You know, without, you know, destroying anything or making it visually, but, you know, with, with just a better consciousness of the impact in, in, in all sorts of whether it's the environment or, or older machines. But if, if it's 16 megabytes with a bit of, bit of work, you could reduce it by. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I would say that in, most of the time when I look at the pages that I'm dealing with, these would be pages that are just not optimized at all, like at all. So even just optimizing images, just images alone would probably reduce it by like 20 to 30%. 
Then if you spend a bit of time around CSS and removing CSS that is not needed or kind of trying to break down CSS a bit more so it won't be loaded on every single page all the time, there can be another maybe 5%. Then there are plenty of JavaScripts that are never used, maybe used only on one page somewhere, but then the scripts are loaded all the time to everywhere on every single page. So that can be another 15 to 20% potentially. And then, of course, you can improve fonts by reducing or removing some parts of the font that is never used. It's not uncommon, by the way, to see uh, websites loading everything from and using everything from ultrabook to book heavy to ultralight to medium to book to italics to bold italic. Right, because there is only one single word on every page in the footer that uses bold italic. Do we need that? So that alone can save like maybe hundred kilobyte potentially. So all these things really add up. So I would say, you know, JavaScript is slightly more complicated because sometimes it's just really more difficult to minimize and improve there. Uh, but even there, you still have a lot of libraries that you might never use or maybe only on one single page, but then you ship all of this JavaScript everywhere on every single page. I would say 40 to 50% would be very normal uh, as an improvement. And that's just for starters, you know? What uh, that's just for starters, yeah. Yeah, as, you, as you're saying. And you touched on images there. I, I remember, you know, I, I was involved in the web very early and I still remember uh, this this lunch I had with this guy down in Galway in Ireland, and he was a real uh, geek, web geek around then. And we, he was telling me about all the tricks he had for optimizing images. Because, um, of course, then much lower bandwidth as well in, in the process. But, you know, even these basic things like image optimization, I still go to prominent websites today, you know, from large government departments or other, and they've just loaded an image from a camera or something like it's like five megabytes or something like that in, in, in the process. And that there's, yet there's so much advancement at some stage areas in the web. And yet there's thousands and thousands of people working on the web who have zero skills who'd be got zero training, you know, because that image was probably put up by a, a junior comms person or somebody who's started three weeks ago or something like that. So you got all this sophistication on one level. And yet image optimization, which we've been all aware of since almost the beginning of the web, wow, in a whole bunch of websites, it's hardly even done. So, you know, it, it feels like, is that progress? I mean, how, you know, what the hell is happening if we're always innovating and bringing out, and yet we can't fix images, which is the most, seems like the most basic thing that we should be able to do on a, on a web page. Yes, I think it's, um, I would challenge the idea that people who are putting images on the web need to understand how to optimize images. I think it's the systems that we are using to publish on the web that need to take care of it on their own. Ideally, I would want to this image optimization discussion to be offloaded to tools that know exactly what they're doing. And there are tools like that that are being used quite heavily. I think Cloudinary, ImageX, and a few others are really good examples of that, where you basically uh, let the service deliver the smallest image in the smallest form, in the, the most optimal format to the client based on whatever develop, whatever browser they're using, 
whatever device they're having and things like that, right? So I, I probably shouldn't, we shouldn't be probably assuming or uh, expecting somebody who is just coming from college to know the ins and outs of how to optimize images. And although it might have been taught in school, of course, but it usually isn't, I think. Um, and kind of upload the most optimized version. Because one thing that we also need to keep in mind here is even here as well, we see this tremendous complexity in how we even add images to the web, which really has increased. I mean, I'm not even talking just about responsive images where we have to send or we should be sending different images to different screens, right? We also have some incredible image formats, which are not supported everywhere, but supported in most browsers. I'm talking about AVIF here. Ideally, everything would be just encoded in AVIF and we call it a day and we forget about it. But then still, we need to ship different images to different screens and these images need to be produced. And with good conscience, I cannot believe that like that most people who just happen to be content managers, just publishing things on the web, will want to dedicate just a few more minutes to create three, four different variants for different screens uh, for the sake of image optimization or performance. I really think that this should be happening under the hood um, by the system without maybe necessarily even the person knowing that this has done. It's more about the... I guess the governance about how the system operates and how we are publishing in general, right? But very often this would be, you know, image optimization would be kind of a part of a checklist um, that is created in a PDF, put somewhere in a server for people to use, and then maybe once printed out, maybe then put in a folder somewhere and forgotten forever. So uh, I think that this optimization, like many others as well, should probably be made by machines and not by humans. Interesting that, as you said before, we've had this absolute explosion of amazing tools, and yet this problem has been around since the beginning of the web, and you know we st it still isn't being solved by these amazing tools, or you know the content management systems don't do it, you know because well it doesn't seem to be getting done anyway. In yeah, I, I think I think there is this kind of two mentalities, I think, that kind of clash at this point as well. Because at some point, uh, many people do not want to have opinionated tools that tell them what to do. They want to have all full control about configuration and how exactly they do things and so on and so forth. They want to have full control. On the other hand, there are some tools which are more opinionated. They're kind of telling developers how to do things and what to do, Right. So there is this kind of clash between the two camps. Do we want that or do we want that? And frank frankly, uh, in terms of image optimization and maybe fonts optimization or things like that, I would rather have a software or CMS or uh, any kind of system that's used for publishing to be more opinionated than less opinionated. I think especially in terms of images, uh, I would want a, a CMS to tell me, hey, this image is more than 1.5 megabyte. I cannot upload it, sorry. But usually those kind of settings exist, but they're never really set. And so we just end up with five megabyte images which fit in a box of 300 pixels on a homepage. Summing up, because we've covered a lot of uh, the angles, what, why should people, some people are thinking, what, what, what are they going on about here? Why, you know, it's just data, you know, it's just a tiny fractional piece of data but we, we've we've got a data 
crisis. We've got so many crises, you know, soil, water, air, etc. But, you know, we are rapidly approaching a data crisis. Data production is is basically out of control and, and is growing at a, an extraordinary pace. And, you know, the data centres can hardly uh, keep up with the quantity of of data that that's emerging, and these things, you know, the um, the global ICT, you know, and information technologies is is growing exponentially with with major electricity impacts, but even bigger material uh, impacts, e waste impacts, etc. And digital is is becoming increasingly a, a physical impact, a negative physical impact uh, on our world. So if we can. If we can have lighter pages and lighter, it, it doesn't force people to upgrade their computers quite as often. There's there's all sorts of positives if if we can if we can design lighter uh, in in the process. So this this heaviness is it's like these heavy SUVs. If we've if we've you know a big SUV, you could get a hundred. You know, uh, bikes, electric bikes for the battery, probably of of, of these huge mega uh, SUVs in in the process. So, the, so the lighter, bringing a sense of lightness into our consciousness as we go about our design, not publishing stuff that we don't need to, not making the page static if we don't need to make it dynamic. Every everything adds to. A kind of a change in consciousness away from this culture that we seem to have today that we can just use whatever we want whenever we want turn on the computer never have to worry about turning it off and it's a kind of trying to shift this cultural thinking and, and just making us more cognizant of the materials we use and that we should use them with care and not not overuse things. If we can have an image that's fifty kilobytes instead of five hundred kilobytes, it's it's good for the user, it's good for the environment, and it's good cultural practice. So Yes, exactly. Um, I think that when I bring this up in conversations, because usually when we do the, uh, it's like twice a year I do a live training, uh, UX training with people around the world. And I always bring it up as a challenge, as a task. So you are supposed to design the most environment-friendly, um, digitally environment-friendly uh, multimedia center. And they have no idea what that means. And I mean, I'm not saying that because, you know, they have no idea what it means and how dare they, right? But it's just this notion of sustainable digital experience is not really, uh, it's not established. And to many people, it's new. So they don't know what to start with. And uh, this is where we have to have a conversation about reuse and about recycling, about not having to change phones, about uh, being able to actually see the page relatively or consume the page relatively quickly, even if you happen to have an Android 2015 you know, device, right? Those kind of conversations need to be had. And I think that's really the matter of visibility, right? And a matter of including and kind of at least flagging some decisions that really clearly do not work well with the concept that we have here in terms of performance and in terms of accessibility. Just being maybe a little bit more aggressive in flagging them in CMS, in the tools we're using pretty much everywhere, because I really do not believe that everybody or most people want to create polluted, bloated, uh, wasteful digital experiences. Um, They just don't know when 
those experiences become wasteful and bloated and what it actually means, right? Both from the design side and from the development side of things. So if we could do that, that would probably be a step in the right direction. So to finish, Vitaly's five things for more sustainable web design and, and pages or three things or, you know, where somebody's listening to this and says, where do I start? Where do they start, Vitaly? You start with something that's clean. You start with this accessible, clean markup, and then you build up. And then every time you need to add things to it, you think about, do you actually need to add it, right? Because you could easily say, well, I can just add some, you know, this plugin or this code for uh, the styles for Carousel. I probably will need it. Well, you don't have to add it now. Maybe you don't need a carousel in the first place. Maybe there are other ways of doing that without it, right? So just don't add things unless you really need it. I think this is really, it seems almost trivial, but I think that it just needs to be a part of how we do things. So instead of adding things just to be sure that we have it once we need it, this is kind of a little bit of a cultural mindset shift, I guess, when you add things only when you need them. And in terms of design, for example, just a little bit of an offsite here to explain like even if you think about a complex form, maybe you don't need to show the entire form. Maybe you could break it down into sections and say, well, if somebody answered that question with yes, it's only then when I'm going to show that section or this text area or that input box. You don't need to show it by default, right? You can actually hide a lot of complexity or at least manage that complexity a bit differently uh, to help people navigate faster and also not loading unnecessary resources. So number one, start clean with accessible markup and build up. Number two, don't add anything unless you actually need it. Third, I think really, if we're looking at low-hanging fruits, I would say image optimization is the one. Ideally, don't forget to talk to somebody who is setting up your CMS to make sure that they flag uh, any images or any heavy files that you're uploading. So set limits, I don't know, maybe one megabyte or maybe even less than that, 500 kilobyte for an image. Uh, maybe the same goal for PDF as well. Many PDFs are not optimized or avoid PDF. That would be even better, right? Um, that number three, so we're going kind of just to improve things that we can improve relatively easily. That would usually go for images, right? Um, and then, of course, also visibility. I think it's very, very important to make performance, accessibility, sustainability visible in to everyone in the organization. It could even be that every time we build or deploy, that there would be a little note saying, so this release or this new deployment, this new feature that we have built, uh, it has improved or kind of not improved our performance, our accessibility score, our sustainability score. Those things need to be tracked and measured and be visible. And finally, number five for me would be, and this is a very lengthy answer to your question, Jerry. Um, I think it's really important to get two roles in every organization. If you can uh, impact that, uh, have an impact on that, please do. The first rule or the first role would be try to find front-end engineers who really have a good knowledge of accessibility and inclusive design. Very often we just ship things without thinking about accessibility and that's that's a problem. And the second part would be UX researchers. I think there is never enough user researchers or UX researchers in any team I've been working with. There's only good things that can happen to a company uh, if they actually hire UX researchers. So if we could do that, that would be fantastic. 
If you're interested in these sort of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste, at jerrymcgovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit thisishcd.com. Thank you for listening.